inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Well, good Wednesday afternoon, everyone. Fred Jackson sitting in for Walker today. Happy to do so. Always a busy news day. It's a busy news day every day, it seems. Uh, You know, just before coming into the studio, I was watching a debate amongst then, two years ago, Democrat candidates who wanted to run for president. And in this particular debate, then-candidate Joe Biden was proudly announcing to the country that if he became president, he was basically declaring war on fossil fuels. No more leasing on federal lands. We're just going to go hard. We're just going to go and basically do away with fossil fuels. Hmm. Well, that candidate, Joe Biden, became president of the United States. Day one, Keystone Pipeline gone. Thousands of people put out of work. They have basically restricted greatly the leasing on federal lands, shut down uh, any hope of uh, drilling in Alaska, etc., etc. So here we are, a year and a half after the election, about two years after those pledges made in the debates by Joe Biden and kind of look at the mess we're in and what the country is paying for that pledge by Joe Biden to declare war on fossil fuels. So he's been blaming Putin, Putin price increases, okay? And uh, a new tactic in the last 10 days has been all those greedy, greedy oil companies. How they're just reeking in the profits. It's just terrible what they're doing. And uh, as we speak, President Joe Biden is expected to announce in the next few minutes that he would like to give, uh, he's giving Congress a request for a three-month suspension of federal gas and diesel taxes. That would save you roughly, I don't know, about 18 cents on the gallon, that isn't very much. So there you have it. Now, he thinks that is going to appease us. So for $10 of gasoline, that's a, a saving of about a buck eighty. Problem is, uh, the national average today for regular is four ninety five. So it's not going to save you much. In some places, gas is up $6, $7. California, it's $8.00. Not going to save you much at all. In fact, he is making that announcement right now as we're, we're sitting here doing this program. Now, he has to get congressional approval. Uh, there are strong doubts that he's going to get that. And he probably knows that. But this is his bid to try to show the American people he's trying to do something. But here, there's some interesting um, history in all of this. You know his former boss, Barack Obama back in 2008. Then John McCain, presidential candidate, John McCain, he was calling for a holiday 
in the federal gas tax. This is what then-Senator Barack Obama, he was running for office at that time, this is what he had to say about this uh, holiday uh, in, in federal gas taxes. Listen to what he had to say. Cut eight. For us to pretend like we're solving the problem by giving people 30 cents a day for a grand total of $28, that's it. That's our plan to deal with gas prices and energy. So this isn't a real solution. This is a gimmick. And this is what Washington does whenever there's a big problem. They pretend that they're solving it to try to get through political season, but they don't really solve it. Yeah. This, this, you know, it's about the only time I'm probably going to say amen to something that Barack Obama has said. But isn't it interesting how when he was running for president, Barack Obama, referring to it as a gimmick? Well, other people are, are saying much the same thing. Laura Ingram was on Fox and Friends this morning talking about this gas tax holiday. Uh, this is what she had to say. Cut six. Five major refineries have already shut down in the United States because investors shockingly actually want to make a profit and they know long term there's no long term viability in this investment because of the ESG movement and all the uh, green movement both here and around the world. So, I mean, Biden's now taking like a teaspoon of water and throwing it on a fire and thinks, oh, that's going to work. It's not going to work. And it, he doesn't understand markets or he, he does, but he doesn't want to really admit it. So this is all just smoke and mirrors. Now, you may have caught what Laura Ingram said there off the top. See, the oil and gas industry, they've already shut down five refineries. Now, why did they do that? Well, they did that because investors have been listening to the president of the United States. They have watched as he's declared war on the fossil fuel industry in this country. And they've said, you know what, it's, it's really not wise for us to make investments in the future in this. So they're drawing back. That's why they're shutting down refiners. They're not doing it to be mean. They're just saying, we don't have a future if the Democratic Party and Joe Biden want to shut us down. So that's what's happening. That's what's driving up gasoline prices. Oh, and by the way, uh, Joe Biden saying in recent days, we want you just to increase production. Well, you just can't do that on a dime. You can't do that. And they talk about the Biden administration, that is. Talk, talk about, oh, well, we're, we're putting more leases out there. No, they're not. And the leases that they're putting out there, you have to understand how the oil and gas industry works. A lease doesn't mean that there's oil underneath the ground in that lease area. They have to explore. They have to drill. Many times, one of the reasons why the oil and gas industry is such an expensive industry, they have to spend a lot of money exploring. So why would they want to do that if you have the President of the United States saying, we're declaring war on fossil fuels? Now, of course, it's come down to some name-calling, as I say, from the president. Michael Wirth, chairman and CEO of Chevron, sent a letter to Biden yesterday that said the president's own words have been self-defeating in terms of encouraging companies to boost their outfit, their output. Chevron is investing in more production. Wirth wrote, but, quote, your administration has largely sought to criticize and at times vilify our industry. 
These actions are not beneficial to meeting the challenges we face and are not what the American people deserve, end quote. The oil company CEO said he wanted a more cooperative relationship with the government. Worth wrote, let's work together. The American people rightly expect our country's leaders and industry to address the challenges they are facing in a serious and resolute manner. All right, so there you have it. You know, our previous president, Donald Trump, he wasn't opposed to alternative uh, sources of energy. But he's a businessman. Donald Trump is. He's a businessman. And he said, let's go about it this way. Let's continue to use our oil and gas resources while we develop these alternative sources of energy. I think it's a great idea. If you've got the money to put solar panels on your roof of your house as an alternative, go to it. That's great. I'm not sure how much the windmills are doing and how much the windmills off the coast of New England, which the Biden administration has already approved, what that's going to do for us. But here's the bottom line in all of this and how embarrassing behind the scenes it must be for this White House, having called the government of Saudi Arabia a pariah. Now Joe Biden is scheduled to go to Saudi Arabia next month. And whether they'll admit it or not, they're going to be begging for oil to produce more oil. And also, we've sent a delegation in recent weeks to Venezuela asking that dictatorship there to supply, to produce more oil and gas. Folks, this is not about Vladimir Putin. This is not about uh, the oil industry gouging the American consumer. This is about a public policy put forward by the Biden administration because they want to look good in the Green Deal world that they are doing something. So that's where we are today. Now, I'm going to make a prediction also in this announcement that the president is just making here. He's going to call on states to also reduce their gas taxes and uh, local municipalities, whatever the case may be. Well, that really hurts their revenue. See, Joe Biden is saying, well, we've got lots of money in this uh, bipartisan infrastructure, uh, $1.2 trillion, I think it was. He said there's lots of money in there for road construction, so we can afford this little tax break. But, you know, if he's, he's going to call on, like I say, cities and states to do the same thing. Well, they don't have that option. They have money set aside to do paving of certain areas, some road construction, etc. They don't have the option of going somewhere else. You see, the federal government can just print more money. They can't do that. And Joe Biden knows it. And he may even get some opposition when this thing, he's throwing this to Congress, he may even get some opposition from his uh, own party on this. So it'll be interesting to see. The bottom line in all of this Unless the energy policy of this administration changes, we're going to have this for a long time. And I I do believe there is some merit, although some people call it overly sinister, there is certainly some merit to the idea that this administration really wants the American people to hurt to drive people towards electric cars. Well, hands up, folks. 
Can you afford a $60,000, $70,000 electric car today? I doubt it. I certainly can. So it's all of this. All of this is not going to work. Joe Biden is willing to sacrifice the economy of this country in order to appease his global warming friends. By the way, one more, one more thought on this. Uh, I've heard reports in the last 24 hours, and I think Fox was doing some reporting on this, that we're really starting to get short on diesel oil. All right? Diesels, that's what your farm equipment runs on. Uh, that's what your, your trucks run on. Somebody was telling me this morning uh, from, uh, uh, they did a live report, some news agency from a Flying J. And the person, I don't know if he was a truck driver, was pointing out. He said, you see that truck over there? It's been sitting there for, I think, over a day. It's been, that truck over there, it's been sitting there because there's no diesel fuel. So this, this problem is just getting worse and worse. But because of the dedication of this administration, because of the beholding of this administration, perhaps a better way to put it, to the radical environmental movement, they are willing to keep sacrificing. And as we pointed out many times before, it's not just what you're paying for at the pump, folks. It's also causing now prices to go up for food grocery prices, all of this. So Joe Biden's announcement just in the last few minutes that he's going to ask Congress for this holiday in federal gas taxes, not going to work. And here's my prediction. The American people are not buying it. Anything that Joe Biden is doing, the American people are not buying it, folks. And that is proven in poll after poll after poll. Well, I'll tell you what, Joe Biden is reaping what he has sown. The American people are hurting by it, but the American people get an opportunity in just a few months to say what they think about this war on oil and gas. All right, much more ahead. Southern Baptists have just uh, wrapped up their convention in Anaheim. I'm not sure they've gone home satisfied with the end result. We're going to be talking to a key figure the Southern Baptist Convention. When we come back here for this Wednesday edition, we're back in a few moments. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. At the climax of the account, when Jesus restored Peter's personal relationship with him, and Peter's call to ministry, he saw John following them. Jesus had just predicted that Peter would give his life for the gospel when Peter said, What about John, Lord? Jesus responded, What does he have to do with your calling? You follow me. With those words, Jesus hit a consistent flaw of the human condition. We derive value and self-worth by comparing ourselves to other people. Your ups, your downs, your failures, your victories were never meant to be compared to other people. We have been called to serve an audience of one. The only approval you need is His. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. As a family, do you ever find yourselves exhausted from all of the different ways you serve your church and your community? In his book, Radical Together, Pastor David Platt calls this the tyranny of the good. Many Christians fall into this trap. We volunteer, donate to the food pantry, support local causes, only to find ourselves grumpy and bored out. If your family's busyness becomes burdensome, it's okay to call a time out and reassess. In prayer, look at every good thing you're doing and ask, does this last into eternity? This pivotal crossroads could mean the difference between seeing God's kingdom work as intended or checking all the right boxes for all the wrong reasons. What a wonderful lesson for your daughter to learn about intentional service. Like what you've heard? Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Emmy was in a bad relationship when she found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend told her to get an abortion, which she seriously considered. I knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Emmy went to a preborn center in need of guidance. They honestly were able to put every fear at ease and let me know that it was going to be okay. Because of them, he's here. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Preborn clinics introduce moms in crisis to their babies through ultrasound while providing hope, love, and the gospel in action. When an expectant mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And indeed, welcome back to AFA at the Core. Fred Jackson sitting in for Walker today. Well, as I mentioned just before the break, Southern Baptists, uh, messengers they're called, the folks that attend their annual meeting. This one was held in Anaheim, California. And uh, they've gone back home, uh, many of them with a lot to think about because there are a lot of key issues that were brought up. Uh, Among the things that they do every year is, uh, just about every year, is to elect a new president. And this year they elected Texas Pastor Bart Barber. Uh, His opponent in the runoff was Pastor Tom Askall. Pastor Tom Askall is a pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and he joins us now on the line. Pastor, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show again, Fred. I'm glad to be here. Listen, the the end result of the uh, of the election was uh, three thousand, I think, four hundred for Pastor Bart Barber and two thousand one hundred seventy two for you. I take it from that that there is still a divide in the Southern Baptist Convention as to the direction uh, it is headed. There was a lot of talk, of course, about the uh, report that came out just before the convention started with regards to allegations, I'm going to put it that way, uh, of sexual abuse, improper behavior by church leaders across various Southern Baptist churches uh, and over a long period of time. And there was a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, apologies uh, that this matter was not dealt with 
uh, initially, but there were other things that came up at the convention uh, that, and, and it seems to have been reoccurring themes on on the increase in teaching of critical race theory. Um, there's also an issue they came up with regards to uh, having female pastors in a church. So I, mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted to get your assessment on where you think the Southern Baptist Convention is right now and what needs to change. Well, I think what's going on, Fred, is we've got people who are inside the leadership structures right now who basically are saying, you know, everything's going fine. Let's don't rock the boat. Look how well we're doing in so many areas. And then you've got others, and I would be a part of the others, who are saying, no, we've got some serious problems. We need to look at them. And it doesn't do any good to pretend like they don't exist. And for the last three, four years at least, those of us who've been raising concerns about critical race theory and radical feminism, uh, even queer theory, beginning to kind of infiltrate different areas of evangelical life, and especially Southern Baptist life, we've just been rebuffed and we've been discounted. We have been written off as cranks and those who just want to detract folks from all the good things going on in the convention. <clears throat> and that's not the case. We, we, we love the convention. We want to participate in the convention, but we have concerns, and we've tried to raise those. Some of us have done it privately uh, with individual leaders and behind the scenes and um, you know, not been given the kinds of responses we could have wished for or have been told, yes, we agree with you, but because of my position, we can't say anything publicly. And, and again, that's not if the ship has a hole in it, then let's let's repair the ships before it sinks. And and that's the concern that I see is that uh, those issues that we've raised that we've documented have just been quickly and easily dismissed and not being taken seriously. All right. Well, you say you've kind of said it a couple of times here: serious issues. Let's go through it one by one. Uh, in other denominations, uh, the problems have always started with a turning away from the authority of Scripture. Do you believe in the mm-hmm. Southern Baptist Convention there is a growing element of turning away from the authority of Scripture? Not formally. What I've contended, and I've written articles on this, is that we have um, been infiltrated by what I think and even overcome with a theoretical inerrancy. So theoretically, every Southern Baptist would affirm the authority and inerrancy of Scripture. But when the rubber meets the road and you say, okay, well, this is what the Bible text says. Are we going to do it? Are we going to believe it? Well, then we begin to hear kind of cackles coming up saying, well, the world is watching and, you know, we want to we want to be thought well of by outsiders looking in. So an example of that that happened this year was uh, uh, the issue of what is a pastor? Uh, we had a uh, uh, recommendation made last year to the convention, to the Credentials Committee that handles these kinds of inquiries, about a church in California, Saddleback Church, that had very publicly ordained three women pastors. And so that was submitted to the Credentials Committee to ask, can this church still be in friendly cooperation with the SBC when we have affirmed that the role of pastors is limited to qualified men? Well, that committee took a year to investigate that, and they came back and they said, we just can't answer this. We think we need to study another year the question, what is a pastor? And so we're debating on the floor of the convention that question. We don't really know what a pastor is. And I mean, that's ludicrous to me. The Bible's clear. Our Baptist Faith and Message statement is clear. Al Mohler, who was on the committee that wrote the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 that updated it, he went to a microphone and he said, I can't believe this either. He said, I can assure you 
that everyone on that committee that revised it in 2000 understood that the role of pastor is for qualified men only, not for women, however gifted they might be. So that's one example. Uh, there's another example having to do with abortion. The head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission right now, Brent Leatherwood, he's the acting president, was pressed to ask about uh, whether or not unborn babies, babies in the womb, should be given equal protection under the law. And he equivocated and equivocated and refused to answer the question directly. And finally, a messenger said, well, can you, if, if abortion is sin, can you tell us what sin is being uh, committed? What, what law of God is being committed? And he gave way to the vice chairman of the trustees of the ERLC, Kevin Smith, who came to the microphone and he said, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders dismissively of the question and went back to his seat. But the question was legitimate. If if we're talking about abortion being murder, then we ought to be willing to say that the protected life, the baby's life should be protected equally under the laws that we have in the state. And yet our Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission uh, chairperson or leader was not willing to say that. So those are those are two examples. I mean, there are more uh, that have been going around in the SBC for a while also. You know, uh, critical race theory. I guess that that came on the the scene back uh, two or three conventions ago, uh, Resolution Nine about including right. critical race theory has a reference in discussions about racial relations. Uh, I thought it was dealt with. You know, you mentioned Al Mohler. Uh, others have said there's no way that critical race theory is being considered in our seminaries, et cetera, et cetera. But the issue of critical race theory keeps coming back. So is there an element inside the Southern Baptist Convention that is buying into the idea? Critical race theory says if you're a white person, you're automatically an an oppressor. Uh, If you have another color skin, that you are amongst the oppressed. So after all the debating and the public statements, I am surprised, and in full disclosure, I am a Southern Baptist, I'm surprised this keeps coming up. (laughs) Well, that's because I don't think it's actually been dealt with. Uh, The Resolution 9 you referred to in 2019 was uh, a a horrific experience because the Resolutions Committee rewrote the original resolution to say the opposite of what the one who submitted it intended for it to say. And then it was uh, basically rammed down the throats of the messengers in the last 15 minutes of that convention where there was no time, to, no adequate time to debate it. Uh, some of us tried, but we were pretty easily defeated from the platform. And since then, in 2021, we didn't meet in 2020 because of COVID, 2021, 1,300 Southern Baptists signed a resolution, unprecedented in the history of the SBC. 1,300 legally sub- signed this resolution, submitted it to identify critical race theory and intersectionality as ideologies that arise from Marxism, they're godless, that should not be uh, entertained by Christians, they're incompatible with the Baptist faith message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Resolutions Committee would not bring that resolution out, even letting the messengers vote on it. When we tried to bring it out over the Resolutions Committee, there were parliamentary procedures that were um, maneuvers that were put on us, and uh, that, that was not given. we were not given that option. So this year, the same resolution was submitted again, and again, the Resolutions Committee did not bring it out. So we never really had the opportunity to address it the way that we should on the floor of the convention. And we do have people in the convention that advocate for it. Uh, 
Now, most of the ones that are in positions of leadership do not, and as the seminary presidents have gone on record saying this is incompatible with the Baptist faith and message, but they have been hammered for that statement. And what's happening is people no longer use the language of critical race theory. They just continue to employ the uh, the methods and the ideologies baked in to critical race theory, like the whole power dynamics that you touched on uh, in your reference to it earlier. And, and one thing that might be helpful for your hearers of, of your program to know is that critical race theory is a part of the, of the larger critical theory, this postmodernist neo-Marxist idea that views all relationships in terms of power structures. And that manifests itself in racial relationships and critical race theory, but it manifests itself in uh, sexual relationships with this uh, almost uh, impossible to define uh, misogyny or the uh, any kind of sexual impropriety is necessarily sexual abuse because you have to view it in terms of power dynamics. Uh, it manifests itself in the way that uh, women are, if they're not allowed to be pastors or do anything that a man is uh, called to do or, or God has ordained men to do, not women, then that is inevitably because of oppression against women. So the worldview is permeating everything. It's in the air we breathe, and it has come in to the borders of the SBC, and yet uh, those who are in charge right now uh, just want to dismiss that out of hand and say that's crazy talk to even suggest it, despite the fact that we can present case after case after case where uh, it is being demonstrably true. Now, as we mentioned off the top of this interview, Texas Pastor uh, Barber was your opponent for president, and he won in the final vote. Um, I I guess I'm wondering uh, what your feeling is with regards to him now going to lead the convention for at least the next year. Do you feel that he will be a leader that will ensure the Southern Baptist Convention uh, sticks to its conservative roots, or do you have some concerns? Well, uh, Bart's an old friend of mine, so I, you know, I'll not speak ill of him. I appreciate him. In fact, I discovered a couple of days ago some old correspondence between him and me in 2018 when I was encouraging him to run for president because I thought he would be a much better selection than J.D. Greer. Uh, that year, and uh, he didn't do that. So he's a man of integrity. I think we will certainly be led better by Bart this year than we have been the last three or four years, uh, and just because of, of who he is. But Bart doesn't see these concerns uh, as clearly or as uh, seriously as I do. And so while he wouldn't dismiss everything out of hand, I think by and large he would say those aren't real problems. Those are not significant enough for us to give the kind of attention that uh, that I and others would try to call to them. So he's got a tough job. I mean, he is, he's got a responsibility to appoint a task force to begin to implement some reforms regarding sexual abuse. And, and that's, that's going to be massively challenging because, as you know, the Southern Baptist Convention is not a denomination with a top-down structure with 47,000 independent autonomous churches that voluntarily cooperate. And if we start being dealt with as if we are a top-down structure, you know what those independent autonomous churches are going to do. They're, they're not going to take that, and they're going to leave, and, and that's already happening. I, I got probably 200 texts between Tuesday night and Wednesday morning after the vote uh, from mostly pastors, many of them saying, we're not going to stay in because the task force report recommendations were adopted, and there's some open-ended questions about what all that will look like in the years going forward. But if a church in Kansas City uh, has a crime committed 
a church in Cape Coral, Florida shouldn't be penalized for it. We shouldn't be required to pay uh, any kind of restitution or any kind of uh, criminal payment because of what happened in an independent autonomous church that we happen to cooperate with for missions. And my fear is that's precisely where we may be going. Well, do you think there's enough opposition to that? Because as you point out, uh, every Southern Baptist church, individual congregation is autonomous. And I'm sure there are many churches, as you say, that are concerned about all of a sudden they would be required to pay some kind of restitution for something that happened in a church halfway across the country. Uh, so where do, you, where do you see this? They're, they're looking at setting up this committee, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, do you expect more churches to leave if they indeed go ahead with this kind of top-down solution? Oh, I, I think there's no doubt about that, because churches are already leaving with just the threat or possibility of that, or because they, they don't feel like these issues have been handled in, in keeping with our Baptist polity. And nowhere, for example, in that 288-page report that we paid $2 million for Guidestone Solutions to, uh, to do for us, nowhere do they require or suggest that the way to handle sex abuse is to call the police, which that's a no-brainer, right? If there's a crime, you call the police because God ordained the state to wield the sword to punish evildoers. So there's just simple things like that that many pastors and churches are saying, wait a minute, we, we're being led down a road we're not comfortable with. And if there are these recommendations implemented that begin to do that and say, we're going to take your cooperative program dollars and we're going to set up a, uh, a fund, and this has already been put into the Guidepost Solutions recommendations, a fund to pay people who claim that they have been sexually abused and where we determine that that's credible, then we're going to give them money. Well, if our church is giving money for missions and it's used for that, that's going to cause a lot of difficulties for congregations to stay in. Well, the convention may be over, Pastor, but I think the issues are going to continue on. I think it's safe to say that Tom, uh, Pastor Tom Askall of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on, Fred. You bet. 888-589-8840 is the number to call, 888-589-8840. You may not be a Southern Baptist, but you may have some things to say because these kinds of problems have been infecting churches across the country now for many years, and we're seeing the end results of that. 888-589-8840. What do you think of the president's idea of a holiday on the federal gas tax? Much more ahead here on AFA at the Core. Back in a moment. The AFA Resource Center has all your favorite items. Everything from books, movies, shirts, and even hats. Introducing AFA's polyester and twill hats, starting at just $18. Whether you're into fashion, a collector, or you're just having a bad hair day, these hats are just what you need. You can buy one for yourself or a friend. Purchase your AFA hat today at resources.afa.net. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. 
We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Abraham Hamilton III, host of The Hamilton Corner. American Family Association is on the front lines in the culture war in America. We've been here for more than 40 years fighting for the biblical principles our nation was founded upon. And by God's grace, we are making a difference. One significant way you can join us in this battle is through a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. Not only will the charitable gift annuity benefit you, but it will benefit the culture-transforming work of American Family Association. Contact the AFA Foundation today to learn how you can shore up permanent income for your retirement years while supporting American Family Association. A charitable gift annuity helps you and it allows AFA to impact America for generations to come. Phone 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. This is Bible League International. Thank God your pastor wasn't attacked on Sunday, but it happened to Pastor Nepo recently while preaching in Burundi, Africa. Twenty radicals dragged him down the aisle to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death because he's been faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims and nearly 200 have come to Christ in his village where Christians are attacked daily. Anyone who comes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior are easily persecuted. In coastal India, Jayanth planted a church in a village with no Christians and today more than half of that village follows Christ, but it did not come easy. His house was burned down twice. His wife was assaulted, and many in the church have been threatened with death, but they're not praying for an end to their suffering. They're praying for Bibles to endure and persevere. We're halfway to our goal to send God's Word to 16,000 Bibleist persecuted believers, and we need to wrap up in a week. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for Caring. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And indeed, welcome back. Uh, well, we had a runoff in Alabama last night, a Republican runoff uh, to run for the Senate seat there. And when it was all over, Katie Britt uh, won that. Uh, there was a lot of talk about that. Her opponent, of course, Mo Brooks, the member of uh, House member. Uh, for many years. It was an interesting race to watch because former President Trump initially in, uh, endorsed Mo Brooks, but then when Mo, Mo Brooks stated that, you know, it was time to move on from the controversy of the 2020 election, uh, then the former president switched his endorsement to Katie Britt. So anyway, Katie Britt came out on top last night in that runoff uh, handily, and this is what she had to say during her victory speech last night. Cut number one. Alabama has spoken. We want new blood. We want fresh blood. We want someone who will fight for our Christian conservative values, who will fight for the freedoms and liberty this nation was founded on, and will fight for that American dream for the next generation and the next. Well, uh, as far as saying the right things in a speech, uh, Katie Britt, uh, no question about it, was saying the right things last night. But Mo Brooks, in his, I'll call it a concession speech, uh, didn't sound too conciliatory. Uh, Cut number two. Congratulations to the Democrats. They now have two nominees in the general election, Will Boyd and my opponent, 
who they endorsed and helped push over the finish line, both in the primary and in the uh, runoff. So congratulations to you. The voters have spoken. They might not have spoken wisely. They may have been, dis they may have been seduced by brazenly false advertising, but nonetheless, they have spoken, and I respect their will. All right. Not a happy camper. Uh, very obviously, uh, Mo Brooks there. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Katie Britt, uh, fairly young, uh, 40, uh, in her 40s, I believe. And uh, many people think she will attract uh, the younger generation there in Alabama. Uh, she certainly sounded conservative uh, in her speech there last night. Uh, some people were concerned going into this. Uh, some people referring to her as another member of the rhino camp within the Republican Party, Republican in name only, uh, referring to her as kind of a Mitch McConnell ally, depending on who you're talking to in the Republican Party. The Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell, um, is is not a strong leader. So we're just going to have to wait and see. I don't think Katie Britt will have a problem winning that uh, election in November, uh, but it you know, Republicans, conservative Republicans, rightly so, get very frustrated, I think, with uh, when they get in power. I remember, I guess this goes back to 2016, when they, they won the House, they won the Senate, Republicans I'm talking about, and the White House. But then the House Speaker, Paul Ryan, I think at the time, they had a wonderful opportunity to make changes. And as Republicans often do, they started making compromises and didn't get the agenda done that I think uh, President Trump at the time wanted done. So that's why there is this push, this kind of constant push for Republicans that are going to get in there and they're going to do what it takes to uh, get to the points, uh, get to the agenda that they were elected to do. And very often there is frustration on the conservative side that that doesn't happen. All right, let's go to our phones, 888-589-8840, and let's go first to Arkansas. And uh, we say hello to Gregory. Gregory, go ahead. Hey, God bless everybody listening. All right. The problem, can you hear me? Yes, sir, go ahead. I believe the problem is branding. We got a famine in the land because of the lack of the pure word of god we branded everything he said to make your yes yes your no no evil is evil good is good let the wicked be wicked still let the holy be holy still denomination itself is a numerical breakdown it's a division which we know is of the enemy father is going to continue to shake what can be shaken until we let go of all these idols and all these claims of falseness that we know under them deep rocks in our heart are untrue. And he's going to strip away all that uncleanliness that will not survive the heat and the pressure to make the dross that he can skim off the top of us and make us ready to see the master when he comes. And I am so honored and blessed in my heart to be able to speak to a number more than a neighbor and say what's on my heart coming from the spirit of the living God, wanting us to worship him in spirit and in truth Amen. and not in falsehood. 
Amen. And we live in such a time as this that some of us have known was coming all of our lives. And it is now. The devil's kingdom cannot stand. It's full of confusion and the spirit of Babel. And they're so confused. We're seeing it with our very eyes. And he said, yeah. with your very eyes, you'll see what happens to the wicked. Absolutely. Gregory, I could not agree with you more. Uh, we have number of calls to get to here, but I uh, could not agree with you more. Uh, the Bible does say as we get closer to the Lord's return that things will wax worse and worse, but there's great opportunity today because as things get darker spiritually out there, the light that shines through us who believe in the truth of God's Word, who stand on the truth of God's Word, is like a beacon that gets ever brighter as as the devil and his workers out there uh, have their people, uh, whether it's in uh, school districts or in Washington, D.C., or in City Hall, whatever the case may be. But we have to stand up and shout out the truth. So, uh, Gregory, thank you. Appreciate your comments. Uh, to Louisiana now. Scott, go ahead. Uh, good afternoon, Brian. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I agree both with you and the previous caller. Um, but uh, Christians take heart. God is still sovereign, and everything works to fulfill his purpose in his plan. But uh, we got to be about the business. Uh, my comment is with the oil. Um, one of the things that I think is left out of conversation, you kind of alluded to it earlier this morning, I think talking with Tim and either Chris or or Steve, uh, with investment, slightly bit different. The oil companies, I've got a son-in-law who works for one of the major ones. He's a project engineer, so he's right now in charge of a multi-million dollar startup project, uh, actually across the border in our neighbor state. Uh, But as, as development, research and development, those companies are on the cutting edge for alternative fuels, and decreasing carbon emissions and all these things. I mean, it's the oil companies that, that bring us that technology. It's not the government. Hmm. And so in order to do that, they have to shift some of the things that they do, uh, which means taking some systems offline to implement newer systems to reach these newer standards or this newer development. So that also plays into it because they can't turn right around and say, well, let's go back to the old way. Yeah. And start pumping oil again. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it's got a lot to do with capitalism. And when you try to fight capitalism and then turn to capitalism for you to bail you out, it's just not going to happen. No. And that's my comment. Hey, no, Scott, uh, exactly right. You're not the first to, uh, to say that, that the oil and gas industry has been working hard to develop alternative sources of fuel. And uh, so that means they have to switch priorities over to that uh, research and development. And so that means uh, having to shut down uh, the traditional oil and gas aspects in some of their operations. So that makes complete sense, Scott. And yet now they're being condemned, uh, and we shouldn't be surprised by this, by the president and by the Democrats. But that was an excellent point. Glad you brought that up. James in Tennessee, good afternoon. Go ahead. Well, yeah, um, you know, uh, uh, people have been using what they call biodiesel in the big diesel trucks and the big buses and stuff for about three decades now, and all of a sudden it seems to have gotten lost. Hmm. Um, The uh, cooking oil 
isn't quite as powerful as petroleum, but almost all the big diesels will run on it just fine. I know of trucking companies down in Arizona when I used to live in Utah they were running on full full uh, vegetable oil all the time, and even in the mountains they were successful. So if they're having trouble with petroleum oil, they can put in cooking oil. And they were running, you know, there's a lot of big cities like Milwaukee and stuff that have been running what they call the freeway fryers. It's just kind of a play on words because they've been running their uh, their city buses on uh, used uh, uh, fryer oil from the uh, fast food joints. Yep. And uh, when I was living in Utah, there was a guy in our church who was running his diesel truck on fryer oil. He had a contract with the uh, with the Burger King, uh, Burger King and McDonald's in town that uh, they would sell him their used cooking oil, and he'd run it in his diesel truck. So. Yep. There's alternatives to being caught in the petroleum trap, and there's a lot of uh, uh, cooking oil coming into the country from Canada that could be diverted to uh, um, uh, vehicle fuel. Yeah, excellent point. Uh, When we were living on the West Coast, I remember there was a restaurant uh, in Bellingham, Washington. Uh, They collected that and was used as fuel for one of their vehicles. So, uh, yeah, excellent point. You know, sometimes when you get into these situations where there is dire need, people start thinking about alternatives. Uh, that's very healthy. Uh, some great inventions have, have come from that, uh, that need. All right, uh, Jeff in Mississippi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, about the FBC convention, mm-hmm. um, I've been a Southern Baptist all of my life, and uh, this has been going on for a long time. And I do not believe that this is going to change anytime soon. If uh, we don't get back to Second Chronicles seven fourteen, um, I'm, I'm afraid uh, we're not going to uh, going to be around very long. But uh, anyway, that's uh, that's my opinion, and uh, I uh, thank God for what He is doing. Amen. Uh, God is still on the throne, as uh, one other uh, caller has pointed out, and I believe that with all my heart. Uh, you know, Second Chronicles seven fourteen he mentioned there is is often mentioned. Of course, the direct interpretation is to the Jewish people there, but I think the principle does apply uh, to those of us in the church age today uh, that uh, we need to call out to God. Uh, we need to surrender our wills. I think one of the big problems, and this is not just Southern Baptists I'm talking about, but one of the big problems that we have seen in recent years in other denominations is that there is this desire to create a Christianity that is more likable by the unsaved world. (laughs) And uh, I'm sorry, you read the New Testament uh, Jesus never tried to appeal to people by uh, kind of softening the gospel message. The gospel message is very clear. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Uh, there is no other salvation outside of Jesus Christ. And God hasn't changed. What he has defined as sin over these many thousands of years has not changed. And it's when, and this has been proven even by secular writers, folks, When a society, when a culture moves away 
from the standards that God put forth many thousands of years ago, the standards that define what is right and wrong. In particular, it's very, very interesting. When a culture dismisses that marriage as God has created between one man and one woman for life, when a culture moves away from that, there is historical evidence, and as I say, this is secular research, there is historical evidence that those cultures begin to collapse. And it's only when they turn back, if they turn back, that God begins to bless once again. You cannot take a shortcut around the authority of Scripture in trying to appease the unsaved world to make Christianity more palatable to others. You can't do that because we serve a God who doesn't change. He is the creator God. He made us. He made us to perform in a certain way. Uh, And when you start to play with that, it doesn't work. It's like putting sugar in the gas tank and expecting your car engine to work well. It just doesn't work. And that's where we are today. We're seeing whole denominations that believe, no, we have a better idea than the Bible. We have a better idea of than God as far as relationships go. We have a better idea of what sin is rather than what the Bible says sin is. No, when a society returns to God, when an individual returns, when a church returns, when a denomination returns to God, then God can bless. Amen. Great to be with you today. Fred sitting in for Walker today. Always a joy and a blessing. And my encouragement always is to you to go out and be a blessing to others. Much more programming here ahead on American Family Radio. Don't go away. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Faith.